0: Hi everyone, welcome to Camila Cada Food Photography Podcast, a place where I interview talents in the food photography industry to learn ins and outs to help you and myself grow as a food photographer. In today's episode, I'm speaking with a wonderful food stylist, Susie Eaton. Susie has an extensive list of very well-known clients such as Walmart, Subway, Coca-Cola, KFC and Dr. Oz. She also teaches food styling, and I've been following her amazing Masters, Master the Art of Food Styling course, which has so many amazing tips and tricks and helped me to improve my styling skills. So I figured I'll try and ask her to join the podcast, and yay, she was more than happy to jump on a call with me. So I'm very, very happy to share this episode with you guys in which we obviously talk a lot about food styling, but also Susie shares a lot how she established herself in the market as a food stylist, how she learned food styling and some uh, really awesome tips and tricks um, that will be helpful in your photography as well. We also talk a lot about commercial photo shoots, how we work, who is involved and um, just how to keep a good flow going between the food stylist and the chef and photographer. So without further ado, let's welcome Susie. Hi Susie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's very me. nice to have you, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself for the listeners that might not know you?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, my name is Susie Eaton, and I'm a professional food stylist in the states, in the state of Utah, Salt Lake City. Um, I've been a stylist for about 18 years, and I travel all over kind of the west coast of the United States um, to do my food styling. I'm married. Um, together we have six children, uh-huh. and they're all, they're all grown and out of the house, so we're having a really good time right now.
0: Nice. So it makes it easier for you to travel, I guess, right now. Yes, as well, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although there's not a lot of traveling going on right now because of our situation, but uh, it makes oh, it yeah. tough. Oh, yeah. So
0: I'm curious how it is for your work right now because of Corona.
1: It, it definitely affected it um, right when... I don't know where what point of time you guys sort of locked down or, or took it seriously, but for here it was March... Um, I had, I remember I had a photo shoot at the beginning of March and it was in LA, Los Angeles. So I had to get home and it made it hard for me to get home because it was just starting to really become a crackdown whether we should stay in or not. So I finally got home and then that was the last shoot I had for about two months. There was absolutely nothing. Everyone was in staying inside. Um, and then they started to lift the restrictions a bit and um, everyone that was like holding on for a photo shoot kind of burst out of the seam. So then it got really busy for about six weeks or so. And now I'm feeling it again. It's like kind of everyone got their stuff done. And now it's starting to slow down a little bit again, but I have some things coming up. It's just not as busy as it usually is.
0: Interesting. Cause similar situation for me as well. Yes. For photography. Yeah. So it's very similar. And like March, we locked down. So March, um, April was very quiet then in around May, it opened up. So suddenly there was a lot happening. And now it's again slowly for me yeah. personally, kind of slowing down. So very, very interesting. Interesting. That
1: yeah, it is. It's crazy. Yeah. How, how is it there? Is it kind of under control or is it really out of control?
0: Um, right now, it's pretty good. So in the Netherlands, it's um, it's under control. So we don't have that many regulations besides um, holding the distance mm-hmm. of like one and a half mm-hmm. meters from each other and not big events. But yes, and like- and the
1: mask wearing. Do you do wear the masks? And- it's not mandatory. Do people do it though?
0: um in the Netherlands not, not so, so much not, no not at all like once I went by myself I had the mask because in Belgium you do have to have it so I got the mask and I went to the shop and I was the only one with a mask so I felt like watch that so it feels like other way around like if you have a mask you're like not normal there that's <laughs> it's interesting really,
1: it's very different I don't know well yeah, they're know. not mandatory here but they're very encouraged them? and
0: uh-huh. most
1: people wear them when they go out
0: that's better that's mm. better because you protect each other and here if you wear a mask you basically protect others but you get nothing out of it because nobody yeah. else is there anymore. right right yeah Super trickier well
1: hopefully Anyways, it slows yeah. down and we can get back to normal soon i hope i know i can't wait me either but okay to get
0: backtrack uh on you Susie, because i'd love to learn a lot from you in these like half an hour one hour i don't know how long we're gonna take but um uh, So let's get back to food styling. All right. Um, And the first thing I wanted to ask you, because I saw you worked with a lot of exciting brands like Wendy's and McDonald's and Walmart, Pepsi, like many, many Mm -hmm. really big brands on your list. Um, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more how the commercial uh, photo shoot works. So how does it work? Who reaches out? Um, Who plans everything?
1: Right. Well, for companies like that, they, of course, have um, ad agencies handling their their marketing. So in those situations, it's almost always the ad agency, the advertising agency that will contact me. Um, there's always someone in charge of production uh, in their ad agency, and then there's an account manager and all kinds of people on the team, but there's one person specifically that will Put the photo shoot together. Um, generally for those kind of companies, they're commercials or video shoots. They're not as often just still shoots, but sometimes they are. But either way, it's it's always the ad agency that will contact me and then arrange for either a photographer or a production company or you know, a video videographer or whatever it's going to be for. So that's how it starts. Um, they're always very, very organized by the time they contact me, and they usually have storyboards. So they'll approach me and they'll check my availability and my rate, which is usually right in line with everything. But um, they usually have dates set, unlike some of my other clients that will wait for me. You know, when they have a shoot plan, they have it planned. And if I'm not available, then I'm just out and they have to find somebody else. I have other clients that will ask me, about my availability and they'll work around my schedule. But something like that is usually kind of already set up. So uh, they'll send me storyboards and I'll look over them. Sometimes there's a script that I'll have to read. And then um, those kinds of shoots are really meeting intense. So we'll arrange to have um, pre-prose, which is a pre-production meeting. And we all get on the call or we all meet up depending on what it is and go over everything and make sure it's all in line um sometimes i have to do a show and tell uh like i do work for hormel uh which is a deli meat company and i always have to do a show and tell the day before so we'll we'll prep that one's always in los angeles we we prep we bring in some ingredients of um what we think they're they're going to like based on the storyboard and then we'll put together a few sandwiches with different kinds of bread or we'll set them up a certain way and they're all in there in a meeting and we take the sandwiches in kind of for them to approve and they decide what they like and then that way we know the next day when we're on set that that's the sandwich we're going to use because time on a on a commercial is really close and you can't keep anybody waiting and there's no time to make those kind of decisions on the day of the commercial for them to come out to the trailer or where I am and choose a sandwich they want to know right up front what we're going to do so so they're very planned
0: uh-huh well, very very intense then. and then uh, who decides whether you should create that um,
1: let's say sandwiches different sandwiches a day before um,
0: do well, you decide
1: they, that or I well I have a good idea and they rely on me for my um, creativity and for my ideas but they you know in the storyboard they have a usually have an idea of what they want it to look like and so at the show and tell there's usually a, a creative team from the ad agency and usually the client is there also so together they make a decision of you know, I think that's too thick, take off some of the meat, or that's not thick enough, put some more meat on, or if that's too much lettuce, or the last one I did, um, it involved a child that would be the actor in the commercial, and he had to actually eat the sandwich. And so we decided not to put any lettuce on it, because, you know, kids don't really go for that so much, and it would be awkward for him to eat it. And we found out he didn't like lettuce. So we had to, I actually had to kind of maneuver the lettuce so that it was only on part of the sandwich and not on the part he was eating so when he took a bite he didn't get lettuce in his mouth because he he didn't like it so so we put very little lettuce on it
0: Uh uh-huh damn but that also sounds difficult because usually when you style you also put lots of let's say how are they called like the pins in the sandwich Mm -hmm. and for such commercials you can't even Use that.
1: You can't do that. So, um, depending on who the talent is, and you know, you want to be respectful of them. You don't want them to bite into anything that would be gross or harmful or anything like that. So, um, I usually have to talk to the the talent. And sometimes, if it's a like, I did a, a hamburger for Dr. Oz. I don't know if you know who that is, and it was a big tall hamburger that he had to hold. And we didn't want it to slide apart, so I had to, you know, put the pins, and I had to tell him where they were. And then, you know, sometimes we leave a space that they can just bite into. I can't remember what we did with the, the child. I don't think we put anything in it. No, that I think happen. we just gave him a sample. You know why? Because it, it depends on how tight you are, uh, how tight the camera is too. And you know, sometimes if you're far enough away and they're biting, you don't have to have that perfect sandwich. It just has to look good, so so you don't have to have all those pins and and things in there.
0: Right, interesting. But then, uh, let's say, still image production is probably Mm -hmm. less intense than video production, isn't it?
1: It's different. Well, so that's interesting. So uh, for commercials, a lot of there's people involved. You know, you have a commercial, and it's like lifestyle. Usually, you're you're seeing people enjoying the food, and you know whatever that's going on. And that allows for the food not to be so front and center It still needs to look good, but it doesn't have to be, you know, so perfect. But there's usually some sort of a product shot, Uh, even in a commercial, they'll pan across. So there's usually one time at least that I have to make a perfect burger or perfect sandwich that that they'll pan across and maybe the product is sitting next to it. Um, But in still photography, it's all about what the food looks like. So video commercials are really stressful because they're just so fast and it's, you just have to stay on it all the time. So that part's stressful, but there's a relaxed feeling with the food sometimes. But in, Mm -hmm. you know, still photo shoots, it's the food has to look good constantly and you're constantly fixing it in camera for camera and remaking it, remelting the cheese, things like that. So they're stressful in different ways.
0: Yeah, right. Makes sense. And then let's say um, the photography, still life photography shoots. Um, how long do they usually take? Is
1: it usually like one day or do you sometimes work like a whole week on one mm-hmm. product? Mm-hmm. It can be anything. Yeah. It depends on the shot list. And yeah. so that's, that's one thing that a lot of times my clients re- uh, rely on me to tell them how many days it will be because they'll approach me and say, this is what we want to shoot. Um, I'll ask for a shot list and sometimes they come at us with 50 things or 25 things. And in general, we can shoot anywhere from six to 12 things a day, depending on how much cooking is involved, if they're hot things or cold things. Um, so, you know, if it was, if it was a restaurant that wanted to do just burgers, which I've done that, but just, you know, we shot like all of their burgers um, you know, those things take a little bit more time and we may only get like eight done a day. So if they have 20 things, I will tell them, you know, that's a three-day shoot or a two-day a two shoot or something like that. And then there's always prep time involved as well. So I'll have a day or two of prep work where I'll go buy all the ingredients or the buns or whatever. A lot, You know, if it's a certain thing like, a, a, like McDonald's or Wendy's, they'll provide their ingredients and things and i'll just get maybe some lettuce and some tomatoes just to make sure they're fresh but you know and then sometimes i'm providing the dishes as well so there's you know i have to go shopping for things special things
0: right makes sense Mm -hmm. and then usually like just to follow up on that do you usually then
1: um purchase let's say props like plates and stuff or do you rent Mm -hmm. it out no i i purchase all of it 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 depends on where you live um in salt lake city we don't have any prop rental houses or anything like that. In Los Angeles, they do. They have prop rentals. But even then, it's really, the the rentals are as expensive as it is to buy things. Um, we return a lot of things if we don't use it because we always overbuy. So recently, I did a shoot for a tea company, and I I way overbought. We bought so many teacups and so many coffee mugs and so many um, props and then we, we used, you know, six or seven of them, and then I just returned all of the rest. So the return oh, yeah. day also takes time, too, so I have, oh, to char- I, I have to charge for return time as well. So
0: Makes sense. <clears throat> but it's nice to have all the options, of course. Yeah, yeah
1: definitely. definitely. Because you never know. When, you know, things can be very planned. They can have a storyboard, whatever, and think that they know what they want for a particular color of bowl or whatever. But almost every time when you get on set, either the bowl's too big or it's too small, or it's in, it doesn't work in camera, and then they they come back and they're looking for things and they're asking me, "Do you have a blue bowl? Do you have a bowl that's smaller than this? Do you have?" Which sometimes you know that's another thing we do on show and tell days is they pick, they actually pick the props they want to use, so there's no mm-hmm. guessing. But in general, it, it's kind of a kind of a fly by night thing where you're just. At the last minute, switching everything out because it didn't look as good as they thought it would, it didn't work. Uh-huh. Makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: That show and tell was something completely new for me, so I'm yeah, like, I'm very yeah, I never, yeah. never heard about
1: that. Not comment. a lot of people do that, but um, bigger, the bigger companies do that because mm-hmm. time, time is money, and you know they want it all picked out. Yeah, and that's
0: usually um, with the food stylist or is food photographer also involved in that part?
1: No, the photographer's not usually involved, but, you know, they're at the meeting, so they have a say-so, but they're not usually involved in in the look, you know, the style of it as well, and a lot of times, you know, in shoots like that, there's a separate prop stylist than there is a food stylist, so when I work in Los Angeles, I don't do props. They have it it separated, so I only have to worry about the food, Um, but then here where I live, I do both. You know, it's just it's just a cultural thing. And Los Angeles, that's what they're all about is making movies and making commercials, and they, they have it figured out that way.
0: Right. Sick. So it also depends on location. Uh-huh. Interesting. And so, okay, so who's involved in, in the team, like, let's say, on a shoot? It is marketing, yeah. right? Agency? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So then... on the bigger shoots, there's usually – there are a lot of people there, and oftentimes they've come from somewhere else because um, – a lot of food companies are in different states, you know, and, they, and the ad agency may not be in the same city that they're in. If they're if the ad agency is in Los Angeles, but the food companies in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, which actually has a lot of food companies there, you know, they'll fly to Los Angeles to do the commercial and, and they'll bring a team with them. So on those kinds of shoots, there are a lot of people. There's ad agency people, there's client. Um, you know, and then the teams of, of my team and the photographer's team and everything um, like that. But when I'm working here locally, uh, it's not quite as many people, but oftentimes there's still someone from an ad agency, one or two people perhaps, and a client is usually there because they're usually there to say, have a say-so. And then just the small teams of people, like I have an assistant that I use, um, almost on every shoot. There are some shoots where they don't have a budget for it and they're smaller and I don't get to have it, but most times I have at least one assistant.
0: Mm -hmm. So that speeds up the process.
1: Yeah. So there can be anyone, like on a large commercial, there can be as many as 60 people there because there's gaffes and grips and all kinds of people, you know, electricians and all these people. Um, But on a smaller shoot, we may have 10, 12 people there.
0: It's still a big production. Well can be. that's exciting. <laughs> cool. And um okay, but then I'm wondering how did you establish yourself in this market to yes. come into these big brands and these big commercial assignments?
1: It, yes it was it was tough, but it's definitely been a process. Um when I decided I wanted to be a freelance stylist, um, I had been working as an in-house stylist for a company, but it wasn't food. None of it was food. I was just doing um, product photography and propping for um, a publishing company. And then that company went out of business, and it left all of us looking for work. And so I realized how much I enjoyed styling, and I wanted to stay with it, but I didn't know if I could make a living as a stylist. So I thought, well, I'll just add food. You know, the more I can style, the more I can work. And um, I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have any photos or anything. So I called the photographer that worked at the publishing company that we all had worked at. And I said, hey, do you want to get together and do some, you know, shooting that you can have the photos for your website and I can have them for mine? And that's what we did. We got together a couple of times and shot some things. And then I was able to put together kind of a little brochure. Um, and business cards and then quickly get a website together where I posted all of those photos and then my next step was to start calling I started calling photographers and I realized that that wasn't going so well just calling them wasn't wasn't getting me anywhere so I started making appointments for meetings to go see them so I would get all dressed up and go downtown and park my car and walk around and go to all these photographers and introduce myself and give them a brochure. And I found that that was probably the most effective way. The in-person uh, meeting was way more effective than just a phone call or an email to someone. Um, it established, you, know, you establish a connection and you get to really see who someone is. And then I also realized that it wasn't that's when I knew it wasn't just photographers that would, would hire a stylist. That's when I realized there were ad agencies. And so I started making appointments with ad agencies too. So I did that until I got my very first jobs. It took about six weeks after I put, put my name out there. And finally I had an appointment with one photographer and he said, yeah, come on in, let's talk. And then he said, actually, I do have a shoot in San Francisco that I need someone for. Are you available for that? And that was my very first shoot, and then I then that became a client, and that was a regular thing. And then I just started picking up a few more and a few more, and the food thing started to really take off, which was kind of scary because I didn't really know what I was doing, and um, I it, it scared me. I didn't know how, I really didn't know how to be a food stylist, but I was an artist. So I knew that I could figure out a way to make it look good because that's what I do anyway. You know, when you're an artist, you figure out, you know, color, you're painting and you're doing all these things. So I knew that I could figure some things out and that's kind of how that started, but it, it took over everything because there's a, a big need for food styling. There's not a lot of people who do food styling, but there's a lot of people who do prop styling and things like that or set decorating and that I was doing all of those things but the food really started to take over, and then and then it just became word of mouth. You know, after that, it just you know after you work with one photographer, then somebody may say, "Hey, I saw you did a food shoot. Who did you use for the stylist?" And and I, it just start. That's how it happened. And now everybody just knows that right, I'm. So the you food don't the have stylist. to do too much of the cold calling or marketing, right? Or I don't do any. Your- I don't do any of it. anymore. Wow. And then as far as like the Los Angeles thing, um, the how that happened, I ended up getting an agent because somebody was looking for a stylist in Salt Lake to do something, and they had called an agent in Los Angeles and said, hey, we need to find a food stylist. Can you help us find one? So he found me for a shoot in Salt Lake, and when it was over, I said, well, would you rep me? And he said, I, how would that even work? You know, I'm in L.A., you're in Salt Lake, and you know, I, that you don't need a rep in Salt Lake. And I said, I know, let's, why don't you rep me in, in Los Angeles? And he said, I, how would that even work? And I said, well, if I worked as a local, because I actually make more money in Los Angeles than I do in Salt Lake City, uh, almost twice as much, just because the economy is there is, is much different. Um, then nobody would know I didn't live there. And I could just take care of my own travel expenses and that's what we started doing and he started getting me jobs and that's how that ha- happened too where I just I get called f- from people there now because they know I style and he still gets me work there and I just fly out and do it and people don't know I don't live there <laughs> awesome. until I tell them <laughs> oh my god so how often do you fly to LA then? um before this disaster yeah. that we're yeah. living in i would say it's probably i travel probably once a month i would say it's not uh-huh. a ton That's but it okay. but it's still a pretty good amount like i would say 40 percent of my work is out uh-huh. of town i work in los angeles and las vegas a lot
0: right how far is the flight to los angeles let's uh
1: it's an hour and 40 minutes or so it's not that far yeah okay hour and a half to wow. two hours you know uh-huh. it's not so you have an even yes that helps yeah Yeah, it does it helps for a few things it really does
0: okay and how did you because you said you had the artistic view of course but how did you learn all the little tips and tricks and food styling because it involves not only artistic it involves all these little things and tricks and right
1: yeah it just most of it i just figured out you know each shoot is different and i started figuring out you know you need to pin things and i figure out Uh, You need to glue this or whatnot. But um, as I did other shoots uh, with different assistants, sometimes the assistants would have a trick that they had learned from another food stylist, and I would pick that up. There are books available about food styling. um, And I bought one uh, a long time ago, and it had some tricks in it. I remember seeing just, just out of the blue, sometimes on television, there would just be a segment on a, on some variety show. I remember on Rachel Ray, I don't know if you know who Rachel Ray is, but she's a a cook here that uh, has a television show. And one day she had a food stylist on and the food stylist showed how they made turkeys look brown without cooking them. And that's now one of my biggest tricks. I make turkeys a lot. And it's with that same technique where you spritz it with, uh, a combination of soy sauce and uh, kitchen bouquet which is a browning agent and you just use your torch to brown the skin and you don't actually really cook the turkey. So right. I do that often now. Right. So just learning as you go basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah once you have enough experience, you just you have to figure it out. It's almost um like a MacGyver thing, I don't know if you. <laughs> we're in different countries, but a MacGyver, <laughs> MacGyver was a television show where he was able to fix and build and make anything with crazy little nothing, you know, a toothpick and a Q-tip. He could make something, you know. Uh-huh. And so we, there's a, a, a phrase for called when I mean, you MacGyver something. It's you're you're constantly coming up with a quick solution to how to make something happen with what you have on hand, you know. So that happens a lot. Interesting.
0: And I wonder, like, because often as a food stylist, you basically make food not really edible, but making it look delicious. And I'm starting to more and more do that as well in my photography, because usually I style my own food, Mm This is a bigger assignment, but usually I style my own food, and... Like I started also using your tricks because I I followed your course, which is really great, by the way. I really love it. Thank you. I am starting to use the tricks, but sometimes it feels so hard to just ruin that food and not be able to eat it. So do you overcome that?
1: No, I've never Uh, overcome that. I still, after all these years, it breaks my heart to throw uh, away a whole Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, every time. It just, the food waste is just heart-wrenching, you know, but you just can't, you can't, you can't risk it. You know, there's the crew always wants to eat it. Just certain things. Often we can eat them. There are lots of times where we make big dinner table settings where the food is edible afterwards. It just depends on how long it sits there. Meat, usually not. I don't usually risk people eating meat after I've messed with it. Um, and, and oftentimes it's undercooked anyway but you know sometimes there's there's things that can, they're still possible yeah but generally okay. we throw it away I hate I it. it
0: so hard I, I, just, mean, I was know wondering how you feel like if you get used to it at a certain point or not because I'm trying to overcome that it's really yeah.
1: when I do it at home for myself when I shoot yeah I try really hard to make sure it's there are things that are edible I feel like it doesn't sit out as nearly as long when I'm just doing my own projects because I just do one at a time and, you know, I may make something and just hurry and shoot it and then keep it for dinner or put it back in the oven or something, you know, baked goods obviously are easy because they don't die on set and you can eat them afterwards. If you yeah. Make the pie. That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the photograph. Sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. Makes sense. Okay. So that was one thing. Um, now I wanted to, Talk with you a little bit about workflow with food photographer um, because a lot of listeners uh, are food photographers, and yes. I wonder if you have some, let's say, tips or some experience what makes the collaboration of food stylist and food photographer go very well.
1: Yes, I feel like um, it's important for them to work together, for us both to work together, and I can't, I can't think of a time when. It hasn't worked out that way where there's, there is interested in, in knowing what I need as I am that they need. A, a, there's just never been a time that I haven't gotten along with a photographer. Um, so generally at the beginning of a shoot, um, it depends on where we're shooting, there's a lot of, um, a lot to bring in, a lot to unload. They have a lot to unload with all of their gear. And we have a lot to unload with all of our props and the food that we bought. And we get it really organized. And then the first thing I do is go talk with the photographer and, and we look at the shot list. And so a shot list may comprise, say that say there's 10 things on the shot list and they're listed one to 10, say. But that doesn't mean we have to shoot them in that order. So I'll sit down and look at it and think, what's the most efficient way to shoot these things? Maybe two of the things on the, on the list have strawberries in it say. So would it be more efficient for me to just shoot those two together while we have all the strawberries out or a certain thing, a certain kind of meat, say, we, you know. And I also need to think about the angle of the shot. So a lot of times the client doesn't know, they're just relying on us to decide what's going to look best and so certain things have to be shot at certain angles. You know, a hamburger you don't shoot overhead unless you take the bun, the bun off and you can do something really creative, but you, you shoot those straight in so that we know. And then other things, there might be a lasagna that might look really nice shot overhead, or maybe we shoot it kind of a two thirds and we lift out the piece of lasagna. So you can see all of the layers. I have to think about all that. So I sit down and I look at the list and I, I start to, um, categorize it in overhead shots and, three quarters and, you know, or two thirds or straight in shots. And because I don't want the photographer to have to set up everything for overhead and then switch over to three quarter and then go back to overhead. It's very unproductive for all of us. And so a lot of times we'll separate it that way where I'll say, well, let's just do these three because I know we're going to shoot those overhead. And then you can change your camera to two thirds and we'll shoot these three. And that's often how we do it. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then
0: on the set, um, you basically always keep communication going, right? So
1: yeah. Everything and, goes smoothly and quick. Yes. And and you know, you have to you have to be humble. You have to you can't be so set on what you think is right that you can't let somebody tell you that it's not. And and a photographer needs to be the same way because you know, oftentimes they tell me that cheese just doesn't look good anymore. Do you think you need to fix that? Do you, you know, I feel like we need a drip right there. And that's fine with me. I'm happy to do it. But also, I sometimes say, I think that needs a little more light on that side. Or I think you need to come up because the angle that you're at is just not working. And and, and they're always very receptive to that. If you have somebody who's not receptive, you're just not going to get along and it's not going to be a fun shoot.
0: No. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. But that's so why I wonder, Yeah. But that's why I wonder if it <clears throat> makes sense like for food stylists to already know food photographer beforehand or it doesn't matter. That I'll tell like, you, people. I
1: think it helps. It, I did not know food photography or any photography for about, you know, 15 of these 18 years. And it wasn't until about three years ago the only thing that propelled me to learn photography was um, I was really trying to up my social media game. And I really wanted to um, get on Instagram and really ramp up and try to you know, get some followers and and really make myself known as, you know, an authority in food styling. And the problem was, is I didn't have anything to post because it's really hard to get those photos back sometimes from either the client or the photographer but oftentimes they're not things I want to post because everything we shoot isn't glamorous and pretty. It just isn't. Sometimes we, I shoot, you know, steak seasoning or, um, dehydrated food, like food storage kind of food, like emergency food, where it's all, it's, it's been dehydrated and put into a package and you pour water on it and rehydrate it. You know, that's never going to be pretty. So there's a lot of times where I just, I wouldn't post things like that. So I just didn't have any content and I was really frustrated asking for, you know, photos. And then oftentimes you can't post them for a while because you can't post them until the client uses them. You don't want to be the first one to post a photo that, you know, is proprietary, that they have a big launch coming in in three months. They're launching a product. You can't post that before they do. So there was just so there was just so many times that I couldn't use photos or, or get them. And I did or I can't shoot the way I want to. Sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't style the way I want to because it's just a simple product and they don't want any props or they don't it needs to be perfect. I can't get messy because it's a perfect burger. It's just all those reasons. So I thought I just need to learn how to take pictures. And so I started and I never thought I would get to the point where now I'm shooting, you know, for people. It just, it's kind of a progression. As you know, it just, you get better and you get more brave. And so now I'm able to shoot what I want to shoot and post what I want to post. And, you know, I still post photos from clients, but mostly I just post my own stuff. But yes, your question was, I find that now that I understand photography better, I still don't understand it like, you know, someone who studied for years, you know, but, um, lighting it, knowing being on set for all those years and watching photographers light sets was a huge benefit to my photography because I knew right away how to light things. I just, it just helped me a ton. I knew how to bounce. I knew how to fill. I knew how to do all this stuff. Um, but so now I feel like I can have better dialogue, better communication with a photographer now that I understand A lot of what they're doing and what lens they're using and why they're doing things Mm -hmm. so it does help
0: it makes sense
1: it's not necessary but it helps
0: no but it makes sense then you can better communicate with them yeah Mm
1: -hmm. makes sense yeah
0: nice okay um and next question then will Mm -hmm. be how do you usually prepare um before we shoot do you uh, like let's say if you get a new dish that you haven't tried, you practice at home beforehand, or I
1: don't, I don't. Yeah. Um, I just feel like I, I just feel like my creative brain knows, like, or that I've done it so long that I know what will look good. Like, is it going to co- be a complementary color? To like say, say I was going to shoot a, a casserole dish full of au gratin potatoes or something. They're kind of yellow, you know, you, you know, they're yellow, that creamy white, yellowy thing. So I'm thinking maybe I should go with something a little blue or a little gray that will kind of complement that. Um, I definitely probably don't want to use a white dish or a cream colored dish because I don't want it to blend in. So I just, you know, you think of things like that You you start to plan. And then, like I said earlier, I always have options. Um, I, whatever, I'm shooting I have three or four or five or six options because once I get it on set I change my mind a lot because I may shoot it with something else you know there's there are a lot of times where it's a whole dinner or some grouping of a product where the potatoes might be there and then there's a thing of green beans and there's something else and You think you know how it's going to work out, and you start to set it out, and it's just not right, and so you want to switch out one of those dishes to something else. So, yeah, you have to kind of think that way. But I think it's important to plan. I I kind of preach that as I teach that I think it's important to have a plan and to decide those things and even practice. That's the advice I give other people, but I think just because I've done this so long um, I just, I don't do that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I plan enough to know I need certain prop. I know I need casserole dishes and I know I need big bowls and I know I need serving spoons. I know what I need, but I don't necessarily pick out the specific one or, mm-hmm. you know, or try it out beforehand. Because this comes so natural to you already, yeah. Yes, but I, I will say, as we were talking about working with photographers too, It's a huge help to a photographer to give them some sort of a stand in or something they can have on set to get their lighting right while I'm making the food. So, if I have a setup like that, I may just go ahead and figure out the configuration of, of my setup. And I may put that casserole dish in there and that bowl and all those and put them in the place that I want then they can start shooting and getting their lighting right, even though the food's not in there. And then I make the food and I switch it out or I'll give them, you know, a messy hamburger that they can Yeah, make like a favorite. Mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, yes. Makes sense. And then the
0: dishes you prepare then beforehand, or is there a chef preparing, like, let's say, casserole dish?
1: No. <laughs> no, not usually. I mean, if, it depends on where I work. If I work in Las Vegas, there's always a chef because I'm always working for a Las Vegas restaurant and Uh the chef will start to prepare it. And I have to talk to them ahead of time and tell them, this is how, how I tell them to do I have, I have a make me one dish so I can see what it looks like. And then I have them give me all of the components of that dish and I build it for camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes chefs can get a little offended because there's, it seems like it's implied that they can't do that, but, it's not about that because, of course, they can do that. They plate beautifully, but this is for camera, and that's a whole different thing. And I know where, where the camera is going to be. You know, I know what needs to show, and I know that it needs to be extra shiny or whatever. So that's how I work there. But most of the time, we do cook our own food. Um, my assistant is a really good cook, so she'll do the majority of the heavy cooking, and then pass it on to me at a certain point, And then I'll take it over and finish the styling of it. And she's worked with me for so long that she knows how to cook things for me to style. She knows to make extra broth or that this needs to be thicker or the soup needs to not be hot because you know you don't want your soup hot when you, when you shoot it. It's better if it's just warm or cool then you don't get the skin on it, you know, um, unless you need steam, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, right. so we do a lot of cooking.
0: And you do that probably day before, depending on the food, of course, right? Or Not on day usually. I, we on try,
1: yeah, I mean, I try to prep what I can, but yeah. I just find that there are very, very few things that I can make the day before that still look good the next day. I just feel like, Everything looks better if it's just prepared right before. I mean, baked goods, you can certainly do the day before. You know, bread doesn't need to look fresh. You know, it doesn't have to be fresh out of the oven to look good. It will still look good. So cupcakes and things like that, of course, you can make desserts ahead of time. But I find that even chopping vegetables, you know, slicing up, peppers or potatoes or they they just don't look good the next they start to curl because you have to keep them in water you know you have to keep them fresh they keep them in water and they start to curl and it's just better just to do it right before yeah Yeah,
0: makes sense yeah um and you mentioned that sometimes um chefs get offended Uh um, if you have to style their food like recreate the dish but um so how do you manage your communication do you explain why you're gonna style it yourself
1: Yes, I do. And I'll tell you that it, it rarely happens. I've had a few occasions where I've had kind of stubborn chefs. And it's only like that for the first shot. And then we become best friends. They, they realize that I'm not stepping on their toes and that I know what I'm doing. But um, I think the best thing to do in that situation is you have to be confident in what you're bringing to the table. So in the beginning, I think I was probably a little more leery and afraid of the chefs. I didn't want to offend them. I knew that they were very skilled in what they did. And I didn't, I thought they probably know what they're doing more than I know what I'm doing, but it's a different, it's a different job. And I do know what I'm doing. So I have learned that it's, I'm kind of the one in charge in that part of the shoot. And I have to be in charge and I have to go in and just take charge and tell them, this is what I need. Um, I need it, you know. And I just tell them. And you know, sometimes you can feel that tension in the beginning, but like I said, it, it only takes one shot before they get it. They and we're communicating very well, and the rest of the day just goes great. Great.
0: Go i I love your confidence in in your work i love it It's, it's
1: so funny because i'm really not a confident person in the rest of my life and it's a real it's a real contradiction that when i talk about food styling i really feel like i know what i'm talking about and i feel like i can talk about it and i can tell people and i can teach people but then i step out of that that arena and you know i'm doing this or that or the other and i'm just the okay but you know i'm yeah. just not, not as confident so i'm it I'm just happy. means like
0: you're a total expert in in your area thank yeah. you you feel completely confident i that's do feel, i do feel confident that's amazing yeah. nice okay i'm slowly trying to wrap up and not yeah. to hold it too um okay i have i have another one that i really want to ask okay so um Okay, so um, what learnings and food styling you think did the biggest improvement on your work?
1: Oh, I, I thought about that. And that was, uh, that was probably the hardest question that I had to think about because there's not really any one thing and I can't think of too many pivotal moments where I just thought, oh my gosh, I just learned something huge. But I will say that probably the most helpful thing to me and in food styling that's you know specific to food styling is when i learned how to make fake ice cream and became confident in using it and started you know adding it in to places where i can use it, it has helped me a ton in a lot of stress for certain certain things and ice cream's tough um, you know if we're shooting for packaging or something that's really about their product, it has to be their product. You know, we don't use fake ice cream for that. But there are a lot of times that there's a lifestyle situation where you have a kid, a bunch of kids eating ice cream at a table or, I don't know, just just different. Somebody might be having an ice cream cone in the park walking their dog while, while you're shooting something else. That kind of ice cream can be fake um, because, and then it's, you know, obviously not going to melt because you, you do so many takes of things like that. You'd have to switch it out every single time there was a new take and it's just not possible. So I'm super happy that I found that. I do have one client that we do just shakes all the time, ice cream shakes, and they're okay with me using fake ice cream. And so all the shakes have like mix in. So one of them might have peanut butter cups in it, or one might have M&M's or something. So I just mix that right into the fake ice cream and we make these tall shakes with the ice cream sticking out. And then I condensate the the cup so it looks like it's really cold. And that's so helpful then to try to, because honestly, when I put a real shake in front of the camera, it's literally 30 seconds before it's glistening too much. You can see the melt on the ice cream, and it starts to melt. And you've got to switch it out. It's just Not the same. it's crazy. So, yeah, I would say that's that's my favorite thing that uh-huh. helped me along. So, yes, nice, thank you.
0: Okay, um, then I have one very particular question about food styling. Is um, I didn't I didn't got this in your course, I believe. So I wanted to ask it quickly okay. here is um, how did you make raw meat look good? Because I saw a picture on your wow. website and it looks really good. And I wasn't like, if you
1: get the piece of raw meat, it doesn't look right.
0: Like, I don't know.
1: Yes. So meat is meat is a very tough thing to work with. And so if you're talking about red meat, you know, yes. particularly, as soon as red meat hits the air, it starts to oxidize. So if it's, cooked um, red meat, it's and it hits the air, it starts to turn burgundy color. You can see it just changes to a dark maroon color really quickly. If it's raw meat, it starts to turn kind of brown. So the what you have to do is you have to keep it completely covered until you're ready to use it. So I may have a raw steak or something out on set, and I'll use a stand-in until everything is perfect till the photographer's ready till I have every last crumble of salt and pepper on the set that I want in the specific place. And I'll put a fake, uh, a stand in steak in there. And as soon as we're ready, I've got one off to the side that's been covered like with a wet paper towel or something. I keep, I keep it wet. wet Yeah. Got to keep it moist. And then Uh I get it on set. And then I may spritz it with my Evian spray or my, my, or or paint it with some water, not oil, not for Rami, you don't use oil. So just keep it wet with water. And as mm-hmm. long as it stays wet, you really can get a good, you know, 10 or 15, 20 minutes maybe out of that to get it shot and you're That's usually okay. Sick. Yeah. Okay. I was very and, and then you can flip it over if you have to, because uh-huh. then the other side's uh-huh. been sitting down and it stayed protected, and uh-huh. you can flip it over. But usually, there's only one pretty side to everything anyway, so you can't get a lot of <laughs> <Right. laughs> two sided. So. so for that reason, we always have a lot of food too. I don't just buy one steak for a shoot where there's a steak. There's six steaks because we go through and pick the prettiest, and sometimes they they die, and we have to switch them out. So always plenty of food makes sense yeah
0: oh. <laughs> okay um almost almost the last question is you're fine i um, know but i'm still okay never mind this uh, is almost the last one is basically um what would be your recommended like a blog or a book to learn more about food styling besides your course because your course is very recommended
1: everyone it was really thank really you fun. thank you i appreciate that i will tell you that i follow you know certain people you probably do too but joni mm-hmm. simon from the bite shot she's my favorite because That's she's great. she's so good at everything but you know, it was because of her that I started using the artificial lighting. You know, I start when I started my photography, I was only using natural light, and yeah, it became same. very difficult because I'm busy and I work all the time, and I can't be home all day when wow. there's light. You know, so and I really appreciate her courses and her knowledge and her willingness to share her knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I call a lot of people lately to Love Studio, Rachel Cornick. Yep, uh, I really like. Uh, she's she's come out with a lot of new information and talking. Composition. Mm-hmm. There is a food styling book, and it's sitting right over there yeah. in my house. And I want to tell you what it's called, and I cannot. Really it's remember. too far, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> called. Um, I can grab it really fast if you want me to show you. But I actually would love to write a book about. I I plan on you know the first course I have out is all about food styling. I plan on releasing another course that takes the food styling into more of composition um, what to do with that food now that it's perfect. I want to talk about the business side, uh, how people find jobs, how they invoice, how they are, everything about it to kind of finish that up. I feel like there's more to talk about. And then I would really love to compile all of that information into a book. I don't have, I'm not announcing it. I don't have one, on the table right now, but eventually, I'd really like to you come up should. with something like that. I w- I yeah. will. I will. I'll do it. <laughs> Who That's knows really when? Good. Who knows when? But yeah. you know, if you can look up uh, food styling books, and you'll you'll find it. But there are a couple out there. They really um, just give you some of the the cute tricks. You know what to do with meat. What to do with this? Probably show you how to make fake ice cream. Um, not? But. Yeah. No,
0: but I want your book. I want your book. You got okay. To, you got to I will. I'll do excited. it. <laughs> yeah,
1: fun. I will do it.
0: Very exciting plans, <laughs> then. I love it. Nice. Okay, so the last
1: question, finally, is where can the listeners find you? Oh, awesome. Um, they can find me on Instagram under Susie Eaton Designs. That's S U Z Y E A T O N Designs. I also have a blog, which I don't work on a ton, but uh, I do have a blog where I give. I post some of my tips. I'm getting a phone call. Let me delete it. Okay. Um, I post tips there. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that I sometimes release uh, videos to like how to make surfaces. I have a video coming out in the next week or so on how to make tile surfaces. Um, I have a, I have a Facebook account, same thing. It's all under Susie designs, but we find mm-hmm. my website that way. And um I still have a code available. I know I have a code right now. I have a code called Food Styling 2020, all capital, uh-huh. for a yeah. hundred dollars off my food styling. I know that ends nice. on the 31st, which is on Friday. So okay. you know, I don't know when your your thing airs, but um, maybe it doesn't air soon enough. But anyway, I always have sales and codes to get you know a discount on the course. Uh-huh.
0: Cool, great. Well, thank you, Susie. This was very, very, very interesting. Thank you. I'm so thank happy you so much. that you asked me. It was really fun. Yay for me, too. Thanks. Thanks. Okay.